you will not encounter a more interesting origin story for a B2B writer than Brie Weber. In 2018, I decided to play a little game of business roulette for myself, and I brainstormed this giant list of potential careers that sounded interesting to me, and I had a computer program randomly select one each week for me to test out for seven days. I was a video game streamer for about six weeks. I tested out being a pet photographer, and that process ultimately led to content writing, which I shapeshifted into copywriting. Welcome to B2B Craftworks, a podcast about business writing. In this season, we're learning about power in B2B writing and how learning more about marketing and taking more responsibility for the marketing side of your writing can help you become a better writer and build a more powerful writing career. So let's continue our story. They say fortune favors the bold. I don't think it gets any bolder than trying out careers at random and charging for it. From the outside to a brand new freelancer, that might sound deceptive. But that's actually what makes Bree such an important role model. Right from the start, she could see that her time had value, even if she didn't quite know why yet. I definitely floats back and forth between feeling like a fraud and feeling like this is just how you change and grow in your career. There were numerous times where I would do it for free or volunteer to get experience. And I realized the result was the same for the businesses. They would get the same benefits as as if I were to charge for it. And especially when I started moving towards copywriting and I could see how my work was really tied to an ROI, it was super easy for me to start to feel more comfortable That's what you don't understand at first when you get started. You don't know what people are really buying. You think that they're buying your Fortune 500 writing experience, and you don't have that, so you feel like a fraud. But in reality, they're buying your brain, your time, your hands. That's always worth something. These are the things you're paid to do just because the person who's hiring you doesn't have time to be thinking about it. It was super easy for me to start to feel more comfortable in okay, I'm going to pitch a project. I'm going to talk about what relevant experience I do have, what I'm bringing to the table, but I'm also going to be honest that I haven't done this particular project scope before. And when we think about it, every time we start a new project, we haven't done that exact project scope before unless it's a productized service. But it wasn't love at first invoicing. Like most of us, Bree served her time in content mills. And early on, it revealed a big problem in how she was approaching the field. I was doing these long form blog posts for $5 a pop, 24 hour turnaround and unlimited revisions. So when I was giving away the world and charging pennies for it, yeah, it was super easy to find clients. But when I wanted to raise my rates or do more complex projects or projects that were brand new to me, that's when I found myself getting really tripped up and I didn't know where to go or who to ask or who even had that need or that money to pay to solve that need. The pressure rose. Brie wrestled with one of the first freelance writing milestones you have to pass to stay in the game, taming that sporadic income into something more consistent. I really struggled in 2019 to hit consistent income. I just felt like I had been in business for a while, but I hadn't really figured out how to wear the sales hat in my business. I knew how to do some of the work or at least figure out how to do the work. But then when it came to client acquisition, or or just getting started on a project, I felt very lost. The pandemic didn't help anything. 
In fact, it introduced the worst case scenario. Well, I'll let Brie tell it. In 2020, when COVID hit, I lost all of my clients, which were retainer clients that I thought would keep me safe. And I realized, okay, I'm starting over another time and I'm reinventing myself another time. And at first I was pretty upset and devastated. And then I also recognized that I could see it as a negative or I could see it as an opportunity to go after the clients that I really wanted and stop waiting for them to somehow hear about me and find me and come to me. Let's not skip over that part. Brie bumped up against a real limitation. All of her clients, gone. Like income, dried up, done. Many of us would have sat down on a stump like Eeyore, and that would have been it for our business. But by this point, Brie had gone through a few rounds of discouragements, and she knew the only way out was through. She was resilient. The very um, first client that I had, my employer that I ended up becoming a contractor for, I wasn't expecting for them to end the contract. And that was a huge gut punch to me at that time. And I did just drop for like months and didn't really know how to pick myself back up because I'd never experienced that kind of failure before. Failure and resilience are popular buzzwords today, but this is your dose of reality. When you first start out running your own business, failure really does feel like the end of the road until you realize you're the road builder now. It's not up to anyone else but you if you keep going, and you get all the kudos when you do. It's a magic moment. I realized I either need to really go all in in this sort of reinvention of myself and of my business, or I need to go get a job and need to decide, like, what's it going to be? And I already knew at that time I wasn't going to get a job. I didn't want to go back to a sort of nine to five employee employer relationship or structure. I started testing around with different prospecting strategies, one of which was cold pitching and and what I think is a much more ethical form of cold pitching, which really helped me to skyrocket my business in a very short period of time. Remember how I said this was just one of a few obstacles? (laughs) Bree quickly encountered the next one, which is growing your business in a sustainable way. Hustle is important when you're first getting started, and it can solve a lot of problems, but eventually it introduces more problems than it solves, and you have to put limits on it. When I was first getting started and still struggling to get clients consistently, I definitely had that hustle mentality of, I just have to work weekends and evenings, and every time I'm not working on client work, I'm trying to get another client. And I think a big part of that mentality is the idea that If we talk to 20 people, we might convert one or two, right? And so we're spending all of this time on 18 or 19 people that aren't going to convert into an actual client. And so it makes sense that you need to spend a lot of time on that. This is the breakthrough moment for Brie, which led to ethical cold pitching. What if her pitching was more effective? What if she could spend less time on it, get more yeses from it, and from businesses she actually wanted to work with? One of the things that has been really business changing for me with ethical cold pitching is that one, instead of waiting for clients to come to me or, or randomly hear about me or be referred, I am cherry picking the clients that I really want to work with and going after them. And I'm doing it in such a focused and intentional and respectable way. And in, in the sense of like respecting them as a person and their business and what they're trying to achieve that suddenly that cold pitch that 
I think often has a lot of stigma attached to it is something that they're excited to get in their inbox that they want to respond to. It's almost impossible not to respond to an email that is so thoughtfully and personally crafted that speaks directly to what they're going through and what they need or want in their business. And then presenting how you're going to solve a really painful problem for them and how great it's going to be once that problem is solved and what they can do in their business. The result? Less time, better clients, more control. So instead of maybe converting one or two leads that come my way, I'm now developed my sort of prospecting system so I can go after just a couple of clients in maybe a month. And I know that within, you know, a few weeks or a few months, if I reach out to 10, six of them are probably going to convert. And a lot of the clients that didn't convert initially, we've continued the conversation. We've continued building that relationship. And I have a feeling a lot of them are going to convert later on because we've continued to build a foundation and mutual understanding and respect. And I am still there on their periphery talking about how their business is going, how I could support them, what's going on for them showing up as a partner and someone who can be in a support role. So it becomes a a much calmer approach to prospecting because it's not, oh, I need a project this month or this week and uh, who am I going to find to work with? And you're pepper spraying or or what is that saying? Spray and pray approach. Suddenly it's It's a lot more targeted and focused. So let's back up in case we lost you. Let's define our term. Pitching is when you send a friendly email to a prospective writing client in an effort to work together. There are all kinds of pitching. Cold, warm, email, phone, and more we don't really need to get into. There are tons of ways to do it right, but also tons of ways to do it wrong. There are memes about it. But the only thing you really need to know is that whichever method you choose, Pitching is essential to getting your freelance writing business off the ground. I generally think of cold pitching coming in two different categories. The traditional form of of cold pitching often takes a single sort of generic template that is lightly personalized with maybe somebody's name or a company name. It's very much focused on the sender. Here's who I am and why I'm so great and you should hire me or our business or our product and sending that out to hundreds or even thousands of people. And waiting to see if a small percentage between 10 and 20% open it, and then maybe one to 10 might respond, and then somewhere around 1% or even a little bit under the 1% mark might actually convert. It's meant to be highly automated because you don't expect a high conversion rate. So it needs to go out to as many people as possible so that you can statistically find the chance of getting a handful of people out of hundreds or thousands to say yes. Blasting thousands of emails in hopes that a handful might respond. Sound familiar? Another word for this is spam, but maybe I'm just growing cynical in my old age. Unfortunately, what often happens in traditional cold pitching is some manipulative techniques are used. We all start to think of as bro marketer techniques start to come out and it's no longer the beginning of a conversation. It's really just a tactic to get sales. It's just a really weird way to start a a relationship with the people who are going to be your clients or who are going to be your customers because 
it doesn't start from a place of connection and it doesn't start from the place of mutual respect or understanding. Bree is using some important keywords here. Connection, respect, understanding. These are all the kinds of things that elevate you from a writer monkey on Fiverr to a freelance writing partner who earns a living wage from this work. As freelancers, we often feel like we're in this power dynamic with the decision makers who might be hiring us. And traditional cold pitching definitely perpetuates that. You have to prove yourself and prove your worth. Keep the email short so you can show that you're worth their time. You're hoping to be chosen, hoping to be picked, hoping to be responded to. With ethical cold pitching, you're showing up as a partner. It's an even playing field. There is no power dynamic because you've done your research to show that you understand them and their business and how you can help. Now, new writers often come into the pitching conversation with trepidation. Who am I to offer anything to anyone? I haven't done it yet. But that's why ethical cold pitching works so well. It's not about you. The really exciting thing about ethical cold pitching is it's not about you at all. So you get to remove the question of your worth from that pitch entirely. You don't need to have fancy names to drop or crazy stats to share or portfolio items or examples. The first pitches I sent didn't have any of that. What I'm doing instead and what I encourage my students to do is find every bit of information you can about this prospective client that you're really excited to work with and and talk about them, right? What they're working on, what their goals are, what they're trying to accomplish, what they've already done to get there. And then in a polite but straightforward manner, we're gonna point out a specific gap or a potential problem or something that maybe they have missed or a challenge or an opportunity and really paint what that pain point is and agitate it a little bit or bringing in some- What a powerful reframe. This kind of pitch takes the focus away from you and your developing sense of confidence and puts it where it should be, on the client and what they need to have happen to be successful. Pitching seems like it's about showing up unannounced in someone's inbox, but it's really about providing a solution to a problem in someone's inbox. The key here is that we as writers, we are not the solution, right? The solution is whatever the project is, right? A sales page or a blog post or a white paper. That's the solution. We are really the sort of product that's going to implement that solution. And so when, by the time we get to introducing ourselves, we've already spent a ton of time on this pitch talking about them, what they're going through, what they need, why they need it now, (laughs) what the solution is. Content and copywriting 101. Get into the mindset of your reader. In this case, it's about letting go of your imposter syndrome to think about the business owner on the other end of the inbox. That business owner is not judging you. They're saying, oh, thank goodness, someone else noticed I need help. Yes, please help me. And they are relieved to meet you. The most common response I get is a, a thank you. Whether they want to move forward with a conversation or not, they're thankful that this doesn't feel like a regular pitch. So the the guard doesn't go up so they can leave their prickles (laughs) go go back down. It's evident in your pitch how much you already know and care about their company and that you've thought strategically and critically about what they need and how you can help them. And so then it's no longer a question of, is this somebody I can trust, it's, is this somebody I can trust to fulfill this particular solution? Like Bree said, in a traditional cold pitching process, a VA or an agency will send thousands of pitches to thousands of businesses. 
it doesn't really matter to them who writes back, as long as about 1% of people do. With ethical cold pitching, the math is better because it's not about the math. You're picking people you really want to work with, who you can really help, and you're investing your time in them. That's why the open and response rates are so much higher. Right now, Brie has a 100% response rate and a 60% conversion rate. As freelancers, when we think about cold pitching from a traditional sense of, I want to go out and get clients, suddenly there's the stigma of, if I try and get clients that way, that means I'm being annoying or I'm desperate for work or I need money really bad. And we don't want to be associated with those things. Cold pitching feels really icky and gross and uncomfortable because it's no longer about a relationship that I think a lot of us deeply care about when it comes to who we work with and how we work on projects. Being able to start a conversation rather than a pitch from a place of connection and understanding through a pitch that's very targeted and personalized, I think that just means we're bringing a lot of our ethics around what it means to be in business and what it means to make an impact on with and for the businesses that we want to work with. That's what ethical cold pitching really means to me. If you'd like to learn more about Brie and ethical cold pitching, visit www.coldpitchcopy.com. If you're ready to take the first step in learning how to become an elite B2B writer, visit b2bwritinginstitute.com and download our quick lesson, B2B Writing in an Hour.